We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius, and the Lakers drop game two, 103 to 93, the lowest scoring game for the Lakers this season as they come out lethargic go down 15 in the first half i thought they found some things in the second half that were some adjustments that i think will be relevant come game three but we haven't done our rewatch or anything this is the night of just after we've done our uh post-game lakers duties and whatnot so this is just first watch uh reaction d uh rough game for our guys tonight what'd you see a lot of struggles offensively especially ad had a rough night D'Angelo Russell had a rough night. Dennis Schroeder had a rough night. Austin wasn't really able to get on track as Mm -hmm. much. At one point, he was four for 10. I mean, I'm not sure if that was his final line or not. Um, Five Mm -hmm. for 12, right? And so for 12 points as well. So this was one of those games where I thought that the Grizzlies played with the requisite amount of desperation um and they had longer stretches of better execution than the lakers did and that ended up being enough um one of the things that i had concerns about so we should mention john morant did not play we talked about the possibility of what morant's availability would be in the pod that we recorded this morning and so just for um just for timekeeping sakes, we recorded this morning, I don't know, 9 or 10 in the morning, um, our time. And now it's almost 9 p.m., right? So mm-hmm. a little 12-hour shift for us on Lakers Watch. And Great job. This morning when we recorded, I think we were both under the impression that Jaw would play. And mm-hmm. that he might be limited in some way, shape or form, but the framework of what he was dealing with in terms of it made it seem like it was more pain tolerance than it was effectiveness. But right. 
He did a pregame workout that was not on the main court, so no one could really see it. Um, he did it at the practice facility that's connected to to um, the Grizzlies arena where medical people could observe him, and he ended up being a late scratch, Pete. And one of the things that I was concerned about um, once I heard that Job ja wasn't going to play was the Lakers' pick-and-roll coverage versus players who are pull-up shooting threats and what that might look like mm-hmm. when it's Tyus Jones and Desmond Bain running the majority of the pick-and-rolls rather than John ja Morant, where the clear plan against Morant is to go under. And I thought, I have not done my rewatch, and Mike asked Darvin about this, and Darvin was actually just like, I haven't done my rewatch either, basically, right? From Dar- from the coach's position. So he mm-hmm. basically said, I don't have a lot of feedback on the question around this, but I thought that Anthony Davis got pulled up a little bit more than what he would have wanted to be pulled up in his drop coverage. And it led to passing angles and just some holes and some gaps in the Lakers defense that opened up for Xavier Tillman. It opened up for JJJ and Memphis was able to get into some better spots offensively, um, more consistently. Now, they only ended up shooting like 42% from the field themselves, and so they didn't have this great offensive night. But I thought, again, like I said earlier, that their pockets of execution were bigger than the Lakers were offensively, and that ended up being the difference to me. Yeah, especially in that first half. I thought our defense tightened up a decent amount in that second half. But in the first half, Jones diversifies what they do offensively like you said there's a clear plan when it's jaw back there and he's a handful don't get me wrong it's just jones if you're comparing it to like a baseball pitcher jaw is more of a two-pitch guy but has a really dominant first pitch where tyus jones is a junk ball pitcher he's got four pitches he throws it from six different arm angles right uh but yeah real professional like he's one of those guys you know i I like to say with 100 percent approval rating around the league everyone loves tyus jones for good reason and just a really good all-around player i thought his impact though was more on the defensive end right we scored seven points in the first seven minutes of that game and a big part of that was the switching like the that's going to be one of the storylines going forward is memphis switched a ton and i think that you can do that more with Tyus Jones than you can with Ja. He's just a little sturdier, stronger, right? He's not a particularly big guy himself, but he just he, he's better at that, I think, than than Ja is. And they very much took a switch and swarm approach on Anthony Davis, who is one yep. for nine from the field in the first half, blocked five shots, right? Who's wonderful def- defensively. And I think that the defensive load that AD is carrying, I think, plays into this because what they were doing is they were switching off and Dylan Brooks onto him and AD can get crowded when he uh, is establishing post position or has the ball guys that kind of get underneath him can bother him. He had a game against Draymond earlier in the year uh, post trade deadline where he had a really inefficient shooting performance. Uh, what do you see from AD tonight, D? Because it was a, uh, on the offensive end in particular, because it was a lot, a lot of struggles with that kind of switch and swarm style that Memphis employed tonight. Yeah, so I thought AD started to um, hear footsteps a little bit based off Mm. of that swarming. So early on, I thought he just missed some gimmies that he would normally make. Missed a little jump hook, um, back rimmed another short jumper, and it was just like, okay, like these are good looks. If he gets these looks all night, he'll be fine. Um, But then, then he missed another one, and then he got blocked. 
and then he got blocked again. And then he's in there trying to go up for a shot and it gets deflected from him. And then he then he gathers again with sort of the loose ball going around and he tries to finish a rush shot and then that misses. And suddenly it's like, oh, he's he's over six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then he got like a little um pocket pass where he sort of had to extend and go up off off of two feet and tried to dunk and and Conchar snuck in there and got a very good block on him, like on the backside. And then after that, I thought AD started to play around the rim as if he wasn't the biggest player on the court, Mm -hmm. especially in times where JJJ wasn't the guy that was back there trying to bother him, right? So there was one play in particular that, that stood out to me, Pete, where I think it was against Aldama, um, and he sort of had the ball, had a right-handed kind of a layup, like a gimme, but he jumped across the front of the rim in order to try to shoot it and then basically brought himself into the path of the secondary help defender where that guy got another block against right. him. And, and it was sort of just like, okay, now you're in your head a little bit around finishing around the basket. And that's not typically something that you see from from AD. So I just thought his night sort of snowballed on him and he mm-hmm. wasn't really able to get it going. That said, the stuff that you were saying about him being swarmed and being crowded defensively, I thought that very much was a thing on mm-hmm. like against him. I also think, though, that if he makes those first two shots that rim out, I... Like AD can be such a rhythm player that, and we've talked about this a bunch that I think that the rhythm went the opposite way for him. And then he started to press in ways that you normally wouldn't see him press like rushing shots. And then, like I said, feeling, feeling the pressure of guys that weren't always there to pressure him Mm -hmm. because he was just sort of out out of sorts some like maybe I'm being too generous to him, but that's what I saw. Well, I think that the, the being pressured in the physical play was an issue for really our two, three and four scores between AD, D'Lo and Austin. I think that that's a common trait and that's something that as you've looked at this, the new version of this team, especially the games that we've lost or kind of struggled in offensively have been against these bigger physical teams that can kind of press up on us and make us uncomfortable, whether it's AD or our guards on the perimeter. And so the unlocking AD in this sense, like, I think this is probably the the next pod that we do or, or, or maybe one after that. Uh, but Austin had a comment in the postgame pressers where he was like, we need to use their aggressiveness against them. And there's ways to do that, that they were completely selling out on AD in ways where like you've got people open on the perimeter. If you just, there were a couple of times like a simple pump fake or a ball fake, or just a, you can get them jumping after you in ways where it's a block shot. If you go right up, or if you take a little bit more time, there's ways to exploit that. And so I'm curious your thoughts on that kind of like what are the next steps? Just first reaction after watching that. What are the adjustments the Lakers can make with, with respect to AD's offensive game? So I think if they're going to switch, like he just needs to understand that that lead pass. So the pass that's open is the pass that leads him into the basket. And that the leads that him also got the block on. Yes, and then but also mm-hmm. there were ones too where um 
where the help is coming right right away and AD has the tendency to speed up in those instances in order to try to quick finish. And I think that with Triple J sort of always lurking when he's in the when he's in the game because Triple J isn't guarding AD, right? At that mm-hmm. point, he switched. Right. And so in this action, Triple J is the guy who is going to be trailing the action and is potentially the guy who's going to try to block you from behind, lurking off of LeBron. And so my sense is that AD was trying to quick finish a lot of baskets. Mm -hmm. And and then when he tried to gather and get his base, he was being swarmed by a smaller player who was leaking in from the weak side as well. Right. And so he's got Brooks on his hip who is holding him and 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 just harassing him. I'm not saying he's being fouled. I'm just saying that he is being physical with him. And LeBron is throwing it over the top of Brooks and leading AD towards towards the basket. But as he leads him, the weak side tag player is there trying to harass AD as well and then the specter of Triple J is lurking. There's a lot of resources being thrown right at Anthony Davis right at that part of the court. That's also too part of my like he's got to mix in some jumpers yes. argument of like just diversify a little bit, make them respect that. That'll open things up for you in, in the interior. So the patience aspect there to me is creating more triangle opportunities where there is a player in the weak side corner as well. What does that right? do? And it, so it gives AD another outlet, right? And so when AD catches the ball, he can sometimes look and he's looking to score. But he's looking to score sometimes with like weird weird angles at that. Mm-hmm. He's got such great touch that that's fine. What yep. I'm trying to what what I'm trying to say is is that the first pass doesn't always need to be the pass that leads to the assist, right? Or yes. that leads to the shot. And yes. finding ways to be more more patient is helpful. I also think like adjusting their screening angles where rather than setting that screen, if they're going to switch that screen, don't set the screen from the top of the floor where AD is right. diving directly into the basket. Oh, the help, turn yeah. it. Yeah, cr- create more of an angle where it's like where it's an empty side pick and roll where LeBron is coming up from the corner. Mm-hmm. Right. And then AD and then if the switch is there, AD's got a natural roll and seal to to the basket where his finishing angles are different. These are all things that I think on tape. Yeah. They'll be, be able to. Yeah. Yeah. That they'll be able to be like, ah, what were we doing here? We needed to adjust our passing angles here or we needed to do this or we need to do that. We needed to alternate who is in the corner so that the weak side who's coming from the weak side it's it's a different player there's there's lots of little tweaks i think that can happen here i I think you're spot on with that there's also a bury your man with the post seal the smaller guy that's switched on to you like you know pivot get them elbows out and and yeah you know be bigger than him try to bury him yeah try to bury him dilo rough game tonight right we've had three postseason games um, if including the play in two of which have been pretty rough from him. And then the game one, which was a solid game, especially after a, b- a bad first shift. But one of the things about him that it's, it's funny going from Russell Westbrook to him. This is a thing they have in common is that when they're bad, they can be like an avalanche of bad, you know, where yeah. it's, 
that inbounds pass in the first quarter, you know, yep. we throw it to the other team. This is something that was a storyline more often than we we liked earlier in the year is just passing the ball directly to the other team, fouling a three-point shooter to give up a four-point play. There's like a cascading effect of when he's bad that really concerns me that I think that he and when Russ was at his worst, he did that too. And so just curious about your your thoughts on D'Lo on a, on a pretty bad night for him. Yeah, I just think that this was a rough D-Lo game, and I don't take too much away from it. Like, I generally liked his passing. I liked his hit of the heads. Um, Memphis clearly scouted that as well, and so there were not as many of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about that after our um, – and sort of our rewatch pod and 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 the lessons learned from, from a win. Um, and so he clearly didn't have as many opportunities to play that way. I also thought that Memphis switching um, – created opportunities as well where he wasn't getting as much advantage coming off of screens and, and yes but I don't know man like Delo is is a player where he doesn't always have a second gear right yeah. so he plays at the same pace a lot and the playoffs are a time where everyone's intensity ratchets up mm-hmm. and if there's a concern about Delo being a high level playoff performer I think that this would be it like and yeah. in his own way, like Dennis is very similar. Dennis plays fast almost all of the time. And it's just like, okay, well, that can be great in a regular season environment. But in the playoffs, like people start to, when you're, a, you talked about a two pitch player, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're sort of a one pitch player yeah. and, and like it's, you work off of yeah. a changeup a lot, right? Which D'Lo works off of a changeup and Dennis works off of a fastball. Well, Guys start to measure that. Yeah. After a few at bats. You're playing the same player over and over and over again. This is part of series basketball where in the regular season you're moving on to a different player that maybe it's John Morant you're playing the next night after playing D'Angelo Russell, who's a completely different type of point guard, but playing the same guy over and over. Guys measure that absolutely. Yeah, so so I don't know, man. A a part of this to me is like D'Lo's gotta hit the open shots that that he gets. Um I think the Lakers need to really start scheming to get some of their more vulnerable players. Um, I don't want to say vul- vulnerable is the, the, well, the wrong word. The players who are more susceptible to being bothered by physicality, I think the mm-hmm. Lakers need to find ways schematically in, in order to free them up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And But D'Lo's going to have to take his lumps here, man. Like he wants to put guys in jail. This isn't. The matchup to put guards in jail and snake the pick and roll coming off. The guy you're going to try to put in jail is going to be Desmond Bain or Mm -hmm. Dylan Brooks on some possessions. Like um, the guy who's in the drop is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr. A lot of times, right? It's it's like these aren't ideal conditions for D'Angelo Russell to to thrive like in his own way. Austin is better at this because he plays with. Much more, more pace and mm-hmm. and change of pace, and he's mm-hmm. got more physicality naturally to his game. So it's going to be interesting for D'Lo. I thought he didn't get a lot of clean looks, and so I, like this is where he's got to just hit the ones that he gets, man. Like like I don't know what else to say about him. So I think their switch to switching from going from their drop coverages, right? The we scored 128 points in game one, and then the next one it's 93. It's a huge difference, and them going to a switching type of scheme, 
that to me is one of the really interesting storylines going forward is when teams switch, what offenses normally do and what we tried to do tonight is matchup hunt, meaning that, okay, you're going to switch. We're going to pick your weakest defender to have our best players. And this is prime number one pick, number two pick type of territory, right? Where, oh, you want to switch everything? We've got a guy that that guy's not going to be able to guard our guy. How often are we generating those types of good looks that we didn't generate a lot of good offense out of that tonight, aside from an adjustment that we made a lot more in the second half? So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So if you've been listening to the pod for for most of the year, I've been dying to see LeBron in the post. And I think that that's the place that his that's I think that's the last stop of his offensive superstardom is to be an unstoppable type of post player. And he started taking Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks onto in into the post tonight and was very productive out of that. It was a really interesting stretch. They put Vando in for the in the non-AD minutes. Remember what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier this morning, right? They did the Vando idea, right? They pulled Troy Brown, put Vando in. Defensively, they were much better than they had been in previous shifts. But Vando cutting off of the post of him made me think of Wenyan a lot, right? Because Wenyan's pretty good at that. Vando's a curious finisher around the basket. And and so curious. Yes. Curious uh, indeed. <laughs> and so that switch to the LeBron in the post, carrying forward that idea of mismatch hunting when a team likes to switch, that he's really the guy of all of our main scorers, our four main scorers that scores with force, that especially in the post can overpower someone, whereas AD, Austin, and D'Lo can all, are all susceptible to a certain level of that. You know what I mean? And so this is exactly why I think LeBron in the post is so important. So what did you see from him in that aspect? So first of all, before we started to record, I had a smile on my face when Pete was going to start recording. And he's like, what's up? And I said, oh, something I saw online. But I'm sure you haven't been online because Pete had a bunch of Lakers responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'll just share it on the pod. So we're talking about LeBron in the post. This okay. is a perfect time to bring this up. So LeBron went to the post after him and Dylan Brooks had been chirping a fair amount. And they had they were actually talking for multiple minutes. <laughs> Dylan it Brooks, was a long Brooks time. has that effect on people, yes. And so after the game... 
Brooks got asked directly about, you know, there's sometimes that people say that you shouldn't um, go at a player like verbally, like LeBron. Don't poke the bear. You know, someone who has so much status like in Mm -hmm. the league. And Dylan Brooks said, I don't care. He's old. (laughs) (laughs) I poke bears. Hey, uh uh-huh. I only respect players who give me 40 and he ain't given me 40 yet was basically Dylan Brooks's message. And so, so that's what I was, that's what I was laughing at, Pete. It, it was just, it was just funny because Brooks, Brooks also said that LeBron started chirping once Brooks got his fourth foul and Brooks took umbrage to that, like basically saying, you should have been talking like this the whole game. Don't wait until I get my fourth foul sort, sort of thing. And they were mm-hmm. going back and forth a fair about. And so classic Dylan Brooks. Did you see that anonymous poll? That was released today, like, oh, like um, the I most think the athletic overrated did it. player or something like that, or yes. And someone uh-huh. said the Grizzlies, the whole team. <laughs> they didn't say. They didn't say. They didn't say specifically like this Grizzly. I I think some individual Grizzlies did get some votes, but sure. someone just said the Grizzlies. Damn, and, that's, and so as someone who's yeah, they've gotten under that person's skin. <laughs> so someone's salty, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> But the Grizzlies have that type of ability to sort of like frustrate you and challenge you physically. And if you challenge LeBron physically, LeBron is going to respond. He's not always he's not at that stage of his career where he's jumped from the free throw line and just dunk on your head guy. Mm-hmm. He was that probably before the foot injury. Actually, he was still doing plenty of that. Right. Um, Right. A lot of physicality and transition play. He's not done as much of that this series and he's not created as much off of the bounce, Pete. But in game two, he did go to the post and he did challenge the Grizzlies to defend him one on one. And they decided, well, we're not going to be able to do that too often. He hit Brooks with a couple of fades. He backed him down. He got very good good position. He created a couple of layups for Vando. He created yeah. a couple of would be layups. For Vando as well, that ended up not being layups. Yeah. He's so good. And so that was the counter that I think we were looking for because you have to meet force with force. And the Lakers, when a team switches against you, you can match, you can, and this is a point I was going to make earlier when you were talking about the switching. What they're not doing is switching guards onto LeBron who come up to try to set screens on him. They were happy to switch Tillman on to him. They were happy to switch JJJ onto him. What they were not going to do was let Austin Reeves or D'Lo or Dennis Schroeder come up and set a ball screen. And suddenly now it's Tyus Jones on him mm-hmm. or even Desmond Bain even. Like they were going to try to get off of that and keep Brooks on him. And so forget messing with the clock and dealing with all of that, they just took LeBron right down to the post. And I'll be interested to see if they go to that more because that is a way to just beat the defense. No, absolutely. And that that I think is going to be a, a central part of our game plan going forward. And then kind of resolving what did the other scores do, right? I think that we're going to see better performances from AD, from D'Lo, from Austin. But this is part of what series basketball is, right? It's the adjustments and it's – that's one of the things from that I learned uh, very early on when I was coaching is that 
for example, if you switch from a man-to-man defense to a zone, the first couple of possessions, especially the lower levels of basketball that you get to, it's almost always going to work for a little bit, right? Just because really running your man offense against a zone or running a zone offense versus a man, unless you really know what you're doing, it can really kind of gunk up the works. And on a team like the Lakers, that it has such little continuity that I think that we're <laughs> as as strange as it sounds in game two of the of the first round of the playoffs, we're still learning certain things on like how do we attack this type of thing when we face this problem? How do we you know work with it? They don't have a lot of minutes of that, and so that is it's going to be very very important couple of days coming up, D, on how they attack the tape on this, how they approach the adjustments and all of that because we're still figuring out who we are. So I have a question for you. Second half. Darwin went to um, a much shorter rotation. In -hmm. fact, there was a time where it looked like Troy Brown and um, Beasley were going to check back into the game towards the end of the third quarter. um, And they didn't. A timeout was called instead. And then when the lineup came back out, it was basically the same group that was Mm -hmm. in there before. And then... Darwin basically only played seven players in the sec- second half. He played the five starters and he played um, Dennis and Rui. And did Beasley, Beasley not play in the second half? Oh, Be- Beasley. I'm sorry. Yes, Beasley did play. He had a short shift mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, but Troy did not play. And right. so what do you think of the the general shape of like, okay, well, do you think that that was just a one game thing or do you think that there's more to it than that and i know that in the coming days when we talk more we'll explore alternate ideas to what the rotation could and potentially might should be but but just in terms of your reaction to those decisions what i think they were trying to address the defense uh particularly in the again the non AD minutes, I know I keep zeroing in on this, but I charted it out the in the first half of game one, the non AD minutes we gave up thirteen points in four minutes and twenty two seconds. It's a lot, right? Usually you want to think you want to, especially in a defensive series like this, think about like two points per minute is about the you know level of uh, points per per minute that you want to give up. So thirteen in in four twenty two is a lot. Then the second half, sixteen points in five twenty. Then the first half of tonight, 17 points in five minutes and 57 seconds. In the second half, when we made that switch to Vando in that group instead of Brown, they gave up seven points, and that was in four minutes and four seconds. So much more aligned. Now, we didn't win those minutes because our offense stunk, but that's when Beasley was out there as well. And so I think that they were trying to address some of the – we were just hemorrhaging on defense in those minutes, and I still don't think we're all the way there. But um, yeah, that that is – I think that's what we were trying to do from shortening the rotation. And I think that the shortening of the rotation is going to continue. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that all goes. It's hard, man. Like one of the things that we were talking with Mike a little bit after after the game and a point that that he made, um, he's traveling right now to go back to Los Angeles. I mean, he was in Memphis for a long time. Yeah, Yeah. so we'll have him back soon. We've had a few pods without him. But one of the points that that Mike was – what was making was just the idea of it being hard to match the intensity and desperation of a team that 
knows that if they lose this game, essentially the series is over, particularly for a team that has already won a game and sort of like mission accomplished banner got hung. Yeah. A little bit. And and Darwin spoke to this some. We spoke mm-hmm. to it some this morning. I thought the Lakers actually did pretty well and showed a fair amount of resiliency over the course of the game to battle back. It's just it was that a six point Memphis, game with yeah. And but Memphis Memphis, I thought, hit the critical shots they, that they needed to hit, mm-hmm. like David Roddy hit um, a couple of threes, Dylan Brooks, Brooks hit, hit a couple yeah. of threes, right? Like there was just enough, they made enough plays. And I'm just wondering where you're, so I wanted to make sure that that a point that Mike said that he thought was was pretty important, that, that we shared that on the pod. And I just wanted to kick it to you, like, were you disappointed with sort of the first half? Like, did you just think that... Memphis was because I didn't think that the Lakers played poorly necess- like that they didn't that they weren't playing hard enough. I thought that mm-hmm. there was just a certain amount of like mistakes that happened and some of that was because Memphis was going so hard and they were so desperate that it sort of like generated those mistakes rather than the Lakers being lazy or super unfocused. And, and again, maybe I'm being generous with that, but where's your head around that idea? Yeah, I think this was the first game we've played in a very long time where we were not in the desperate position, but the other team was. Think of this our story coming up these last couple of months, how many games the Lakers played where they were in that position where it was actually really important that they won that game last night. And then sometimes the team across from them was Utah, who's developing guys, but those guys <laughs> are still playing for an NBA contract next year. So there's certainly a great deal of intensity and they have minutes and opportunity that they don't have for a lot of the rest of the season, but ultimately the outcome of the game, the team that won, it was more important to the Lakers than the other team on a lot of nights. And it was very important to the Lakers pretty much every night, just the the nature of that. This was the first time that was flipped, right? Where you could say, oh, Lakers lose game two. All right, well, let's get them in game three. We'll regroup and, and go after it then. I, I think that played a part. This is this has not been a team, though, D, and this speaks to the team's issues with sustainment that has been able to string together long winning streaks, long degrees of playing good basketball for the sake of playing good basketball, because that's what they do, regardless of the surrounding circumstances, The you know if you have a lead in a series, anything like that. And so I... I wasn't happy with it. I understood on some level, but I there's a degree of squandering that this team has to it that has just been bothering me throughout the season that I think is going to bite us at some point that I mean maybe even here in this in this first round, right? So, I understand it to a degree, but yes, it does bother me. Yeah, so I see that. I guess this game I was frustrated I It's interesting because I actually thought that that was more so around the idea of the lineups that we're going to play and the adjustments that we're going to make are going to be minimal in this game because we won the first game, right? We're going to wait to be down to, right, to see it, to see it not work. This was an issue under Frank Vogel too. And it happened in game once instead of in like the year that they went to the playoffs and and they won the championship. And you can go back into the archives of the Laker Film Room podcast and you can listen to our reactions mm-hmm. after game Lamenting. one versus the Port like, yep. like in the Portland yep. series and game all of these game ones that the Lakers lost. 
And it's sort of just like, well, they're feeling it out. And it's like, uh, well, you know, we're going to do our thing and you have to beat us. And then after you beat us, that's when we'll make our our adjustments. And Mm -hmm. look, Darwin basically played the same lineups that he played in the first in in game one. And in fact, in the first half of game two, he he played Beasley and Troy for even longer minutes. And I think that he adjusted some to D'Lo not having it. And so he extended Dennis a little bit like there were and he played the same like non big man group without AD. And instead of um, now he made these adjustments in the second half. But in the first half, he said, you know what? Yep, it's going to be Dennis and Troy and Beasley and Rui and LeBron. That's the same group that got blown out of the water. That's right. Like like it got blown out of the water again. Well, yeah, if you look at the box score, the Lakers lost by 10 and LeBron had a monster night. So we haven't even talked about a lot of this yet, but LeBron had 28 points. He was Mm -hmm. 12 for 23. He had 12 rebounds. He was also a team worst minus 17. Yep. One of the reasons why he was a minus 17 was because they got their butts kicked in the parts in that first part of the game when and. And the adjustment that they made was they played zone for three possessions and got their butts kicked on like three consecutive possessions of of playing zone. And so that was not the answer again in this game. But the Lakers won game one playing this way and they did not win in game two. And so in the next pod, I think we will talk more about the lessons that come from a loss rather than the lessons that come from a win. And a lot of times the lessons that come from a loss are more lasting lessons, Pete, because Mm -hmm. you lost. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Losses have a way of resonating with you more, particularly in in the playoffs. I will say this. I like the demeanor of the head coach after the game. I like the demeanor of LeBron James and Anthony Davis after the game. These are dudes who have been through battles. If not together, they've been through them, right? LeBron and AD obviously have been through them together. There is this sense to me that they know what what it takes, but there's adjustments that need to happen against a very good Memphis Grizzlies team, whether or not they have John Morant. And they showed it in this game, what it's going to take to beat them when they turn things up. And the Lakers just didn't have it this game. Credit to the Grizzlies because they did. Very much so. Excellent performance by the Grizzlies. Comes back to LA tied at one. We will do our rewatch and be back on Friday to give our thoughts then uh, to preview game three. But until then, You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Unbelievable.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.